Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Going very good uh, as well and other races since. We'll talk to Hayden Wall very shortly. Uh, Phil Totolangi, uh, pretty much a, a wrap-up really of uh, the golfing year. Uh, another tournament uh, decided over the weekend. Uh, and Phil's got an exciting new development of his own to talk about, so uh, we'll catch up with him just after 9.30. We'll put a full stop on the Black Caps Tour of India with Craig coming just after 10 o'clock. Uh, and then, of course, um, the Ashes begin, so cricket followed by cricket followed by cricket. Uh, so we'll go to Ian Healy, of course, uh, the great Australian wicketkeeper batsman, just after 11 o'clock. Of course, he lives in Brisbane. They host the first test at the Gabba. Uh, we'll have a Mount Rushmore for you. Uh, just after uh, 11.40, and that'll take us through to midday, where Staffy is uh, taking over at uh, 12 through till 4 o'clock today. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it seems quite odd, really, that a test match so dominated by the history-making brilliance of one man can also turn out to be one of the biggest hidings the same man's team has ever endured. It's a pretty poor indictment on his 10 teammates, to be honest. It was all over so quickly. Good in that I could watch the end of the chase, but bad in that I was exposed to beauty and the geek. Now, those New Zealand batsmen have a lot to answer for. But will they? Will there be a review as per the All Blacks and their failings? Will there be any casualties of this overwhelming demise? Probably neither in both camps. Let's also not forget the last day of the first test was nearly a disaster, also spared only by the last hour stubbornness of said same hero and his rookie partner. Remember that test, not the one that got away, more so the one that we never tried to capture in the first place. But tell aside, it was pretty much a short tour to forget, and that shouldn't be forgotten. More sparks are flying around the America's Cup hosting venue, it seems, a planned meeting. The vote on the issue has been canned by the organisers of the meeting, hoping to hold a meeting to vote on the meeting of all these syndicates back here in Auckland. Hopefully all will be resolved about that proposed meeting at the annual general meeting, the date of which should be confirmed shortly after another meeting. Uh, To be perfectly honest, the next America's Cup will be contested at a venue decided principally by Grant Dalton. He's the boss, he's numero uno. It would be fantastic to consider it will be returning to Auckland, formerly the city of sales and now just lockdown HQ. Nice to put some bickies back in the business jar of those who could get some back but we're told that could force the syndicate into possible liquidation. Now there's two names for a new boat, lockdown or liquidation. What a choice. How shall we decide? Quick somebody, let's call a meeting.
Well, it's been an incredible year for 24-year-old Kiwi triathlete Hayden Wild. He's got the New Zealand's medal count rolling at the Tokyo Olympics with a brilliant bronze, and yesterday he won the off-road Stira World Championship race in Hawaii. And he joins us now. Uh, Hayden, uh, good morning to you, uh, New Zealand time. Congratulations on the win. Uh, you won this uh, twice as an under-19-year-old uh, in that division. How good to wrap it up in the elite level. You know, guys, uh, you know, it's good to be on the show. Um, you know, it was uh, it was lovely to to come back to to, to Hawaii uh, in Maui, and um, yeah, it was last time I was there was 2016, coming away with a my second world title. So I had to come back and be three from three, um, but taking it out in the uh, the big boys category, I was uh, no, uh, pretty chuffed to come around full circle and finish off the season here, and uh, yeah, finish on a, another big high. What were the conditions like, Hayden? Uh, the conditions from the start of the race were actually quite nice. Uh, unfortunately, the swim was cancelled due to uh, a big storm coming through and the waves were, well, for me, they weren't that big, but for uh, a couple of the uh, inland Europeans, it was getting a bit dangerous. So uh, they had to make the call and uh, keep the athletes safe and uh, uh, had to cancel the swim, which I was pretty gutted about. Um, but it is what it is, so we raced the duathlon. Um, but yeah, the, the conditions were great uh, for the first kind of half the um, first half of the, the run on the bike, um, and then we got to the the last fifteen twenty minutes of the bike, and it just the, the heavens opened, and uh, and it was uh, yeah, she was she was uh, she was a wet one by the end of the day, and uh, yeah, split conditions. Um, the course in Maui is just uh, you know it's um, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard clay packed surface, um, so if you get any water on top, it just becomes an absolute ice ring. So um, yeah, at the end, conditions were actually relatively tough, and uh, going on to the run, you were just climbing up the hills and slipping everywhere. So, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, they didn't give it to me easy. I can tell you that. So when when they call off uh, the swim leg of it, I mean, I think that's the first time in about twenty five years they've done that. Um, do they have a consensus uh, amongst uh, the athletes, or is that taken out of your hands as such? Uh, unfortunately, it was taken out of our hands, which I was. Oh, I was quite disappointed in, like, um, like, yeah, they, they cancelled the swim nearly a day and a half before the, the event, which was I thought was quite strange. Um, they thought this um, this big storm was going to come through and big surf was coming, and uh, which would which would lead into like uh, a muddy sort of water around the bay and um, and debris. Uh, but I woke up and looked at the surf, and as I said, it was uh, yeah, it was big, but you had to get through two two waves and then it was uh, pretty much you know nearly as flat as a pancake and uh, yeah like um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed that it, that it happened like um, I would under- understood if they did cancel it say like uh, just before the race um, which is normally what happens they normally cancel the swim before the race or at least the night before uh, but yeah that was that was gutting but um, yeah they changed that into a 3.3k run instead um, and uh, we, we carried on from there Okay, let's uh, look at that, that style of race compared to perhaps um, an Olympic triathlon. Take the win, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the swim side of it out. How does it compare? Um, I think as a, as a, uh, on the World Series event, the on-road triathletes are a lot faster at the swim. Um, so when um, the swim is cancelled, I was kind of gutted. As I'm normally kind of like a mid-pack swimmer in the ITU, but this one I'd normally get about three or four minutes uh, Onto these guys, so I was. Uh, that's why I think I was a little bit gutted because it just gave me a bit, bit extra time on the bike. But you know, these guys know uh, know how to ride mountain bikes and they uh, they know how to run run in the hills. So um, 
yeah, that's um, that's kind of their, their strength is they don't worry too much about the swim and uh, you leave it all sort of in mountain bike and run. So yeah, like I think I looked at my heart rate. And I didn't I didn't really go anything below 160. Uh, for me, that's uh, pretty decent. Uh, that's you know between that kind of that high tempo uh, touching on threshold. Um, by the time I finished the event, so yeah, like you were continuously in the red, and it was um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a, a hard race to win, and um, and yeah, it was uh, I guess compared to the World Series as well, it's um, you know you don't have that depth like um, like you know like a World Series, but you've got like a good, really really strong top five, top ten guys. Um, that kind of really push you all the way. Well, it's been a hell of a year for you, uh, Hayden. Um, uh, let's just just reflect back. Uh, have you had much time uh, to reflect on that on the bronze medal and what what you achieved there? Have you have you used that sort of as a, a confidence like booster for what's followed on? Uh, well, I, I, I kind of I kind of hope that I'd use it as confidence booster, but I've just never I've, you know, I haven't been home. I haven't been able to kind of sit down and digest any of it really. Um, I still kind of, kind of can't really believe the, the year I've had and um, that, yeah, that's true because I haven't been able to get home. And so I've just kind of continued racing and um, I definitely felt the, the race today. I wasn't I wasn't as fit as I was at all um, in Tokyo and uh, that's probably just like mentally drained and just, just really tired, to be honest, if, I, if I'm being completely honest. And, um, yeah, it's going to be really nice to come home and just relax a bit and, uh, and take some time off and then, and then get back into what is... Yeah, I think uh, I can definitely get myself prepared and uh, try and get a medal for New Zealand at the Commonwealth Games. But um, I definitely need to come home and uh, and you know have that mental mental kind of relax relaxation. As uh, I think that's what you know anyone in anyone in, in the sport kind of needs, let alone in a job as well. So uh, it's gonna be nice to come home and just chill out a bit on the beach and uh, not having to worry about uh, competitions. So how how far ahead have you looked? I mean, how many events have have you perhaps scheduled for next year? One in your build up to the Commonwealth Games, and then following that. Um, I haven't looked too much into my schedule next year. I think it's just kind of go with the flow and see what 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 next year is looking like. Um, you know, obviously COVID's ramping back up in Europe, and things are actually kind of closing back up again in Europe. So um, it all kind of depends what they can kind of salvage out of that before the Com Games, um, but. You know, like I'll try and get some Oceania and Captain around Australia and New Zealand if it, uh, if it all goes ahead. Um, but if not, I'll have to, to wait around uh, my next race in May as the World Series, and that's where the normally the big race is. So, yeah, have some, have some time to kind of sit down and reflect and, um, and, and plan a, a solid 2022 season leading into the Commonwealth Games. So, um, yeah, that's kind of one of those things that I do when I get home and, and sit down with my coach. So you're in Hawaii, so you're close. Does that mean it's over for the year and uh, and you have managed to, uh, to to get home, find a way home? Yeah, yeah. So this is my last race of the year. It's nice to cap off here. Like I wasn't, uh, I wanted to get here, but I didn't know if I was going to race um, just because of the, um, the the current state of if I was going to get home or not. But I was uh, lucky enough to get a spot and um, yeah, get in get in the MIQ spot at uh, ten. On the 10th of December, so um, I leave the island tomorrow and start flying home, which is which is uh, which is an awesome result. So I, I mean, you mentioned the beach, etc., which suggests swimming. Uh, I mean, what what is a triathlete, a super fit triathlete? How, how do you just blob out? Um, you know, when when you get home. 
Um, well, I'll be stuck in a hotel for uh, six, seven days, so I guess I'll just be chilling out and doing absolutely nothing. Um, I guess, um, you know, different people have to do different things on their off-season, so for me, I'll probably just be uh, probably just getting out on the, on the fishing boat and uh, trying to do some fishing and might do some DIY around home and, um, yeah, just kind of just do my own thing and uh, get back into it slowly, I guess. Hey, um, just uh, on triathlon itself, in terms of our stocks in New Zealand, uh, uh, how are we looking in terms of our uh, overseas involvement and the sport itself, do you feel? Yeah, I feel like the sport is, is, get, is getting back to, the, as we call the golden era. Um, you know, we had some fantastic athletes. Um, you know, the women are still ex- all extremely, uh, extremely young. We've got a great development schedule coming through there. So I think the women are coming up and it's going to be uh, fantastic in the next, uh, you know, um, um, two, to, two to six years. Um, we've got some great little athletes coming through, and uh, especially the men as well. We've got a nice stack, stack field. We've got some great athletes from, uh, over from Christchurch and um, some guys based in Cambridge as well. So, um, yeah, I think, we're, well, I think we'll be, be okay for the next uh, four to ten years, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've got some great athletes um, slowly coming up the ranks, which is cool and uh, keeps us... Uh, keeps us guys at the top uh, under pressure and uh, keeps us performing. So, no, it's good then we can thrive off each other. And, um, and I think that's just what we're going to keep doing is um, pushing each other to the limits and not worry about being the best in New Zealand, but trying to be the best in the world. So, um, yeah, it's great we're going in that direction and, uh, yeah, we look forward to our future. Sounds great. Uh, Hayden, it sounds great for triathlon. Sounds great for you. Congratulations uh, on finishing uh, this re- really good year on a very, very high note. Uh, winning that Xterra World Championship. Just uh, unbelievable performance. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, travel safe home and have a great break. You fully deserve it, mate, and so pleased to hear that you can get home. Sweet. Thank you so much for the call, and, uh, yeah, look forward to getting home and sitting in a hotel for uh, super days. It's uh, as, <laughs> as boring as it sounds. I'm actually looking forward to it. It's going to be nice to my feet up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you do. I'll bet you do. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Not, not everyone does, but at Cheers, least it sounds like you're going Appreciate to. It. So, yeah, well done. Well done, Hayden. Thank you. 9.16 here on SENZS, Hayden Wildout. Hayden Wildout, bronze medalist. Absolutely yeah, brilliant athlete. What a great year that he's had. Uh, this morning, uh, John Day and I are going to have uh, a Mount Rushmore, which is the greatest rivalries in sport, uh, the four greatest rivalries in sport. So uh, we'd appreciate uh, you guys giving it some thought at home, you guys and gals. Double eight double three is our uh, text number here. Text us in with the greatest four sport rivalries they don't have to necessarily be world famous ones they might be local ones might be your local club rugby team your local cricket team uh it could be anything of that nature uh and uh we'd love to hear from you on that so uh, that's uh uh, number double eight double three the text number 917 here on senz this is mornings with ian smith on senz well i got a text in from dean smith is uh now the city that fails, not the city of sales, it's Auckland also. Uh, I'll sum up, uh, a cricket guy gets 14 wickets, 10 and 1 innings, 2 not outs with the bat and he is unlikely to play at home. How do you work that out? As for the batting, Smithy, even your day it was the problem and got me closest to getting it right. New Zealand cricket have learnt nothing. Yes, we made the finals and won one, but their loss is our, is our batting failing every time. Williamson batted well after being dropped in the, t- uh, the 2020. He's too slow for me. Throw caution to the wind after being dropped. Australia showed everyone how to play. I hope we learn who picks a guy to play test cricket and bat when he's been playing with the kids as a leader. Really, that is not good enough. Rugby are doing the same. Uh, the positive is Gary explains his call. 
Foster is the Invisible Man that, uh, from Dean. Uh, already we've got uh, a couple coming in too on these rivalries. Arnold Palmer versus Jack Nicholas, Kepka versus DeChambeau, Faldo versus Garcia, and Norman versus... Uh, yeah, Faldo versus Garcia, that's an interesting one. Norman versus Faldo. Uh, that was one, of course. Uh, that's from Tomo. Uh, and Jared's come in and said sport rivalries. Ayrton Senna, uh, Alan Prost. Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost, the finest Formula One rivalries. Um, yeah, interesting. So uh, John Sam Kane has uh, re-signed his uh, contract. So uh, that's interesting. He's got uh, one of those uh, open-ended ones where you kind of are allowed a sabbatical, which is probably in Japan or somewhere, uh, to make a lot of money in a short space of time before coming back again. Uh, it's a non-playing or playing break type clause, they call it, uh, through to 2024. So uh, for Sam Kane fans, that's good news. Yeah, Sammy Kane and Artie Sevilla both locked in for long times, 2025. Um, but I guess the question that's kind of still swirling, Smithy, is the captaincy. Um is it his permanently? Does he have to come back and prove himself to be fit next year? Um, how do you see that kind of working out? Do you think he signed the deal going, I am captain? Or how do you think that whole thing's going to work out? I have no idea. I would imagine there's any guarantee of captaincy in the contract. But, um, you know, the first thing that they want out of that contract is for Sam Kane to stay fit for predominantly that period of time. And that his record there has not been fantastic. Uh, look, I... Uh, I don't know about the captaincy. Honestly, I don't. I, I, I you know, obviously uh, they finished the year not wanting him as captain um, because they preferred to have Sam Whitelock. That was a decision that they made. Um, so I, I, where it stands now, I guess that will be part of the review. And I, I'd be hoping that's one of the first things they sort out because uh, without a captain, you're sort of rudderless. You know, you, you, you kind of haven't got a direction you're going in on the field and, and you, you're sort of looking to, around to see who's actually making those vital calls on the field of play, so I would assume they need to get back to having one captain, or maybe that's the way this this, this particular group's going to go, a floating all-black captain, doesn't sound that exciting to me, um, to be honest, uh, another uh, come, uh, text has come in, uh, the Kaitangata Club, Crescent Kaitangata Club versus Clutha in rugby, Otago versus Colin Hawke, rugby's in the 90s, Greg Murphy versus Marcus Ambrose, uh, and the V8 Supercars, and Tyson uh, versus Holyfield in the boxing and uh, just for me uh, just for you Smithy, Wellington College versus Rongatai College, first 11 1973, that, boy god that takes me back, had some good players in that first 11 but Wellington College had some great players too, that was a fair rivalry it's got to be said, I can't remember who quite got the upper side of that, I'd imagine Bruce Edgar got 100 every time um, Hi Smithy, what, what is your best advice you could give my young fella for focusing while keeping for long hours in the field, that's from horse, one ball at a time horse, don't look at the big picture, just one ball at a time, and uh, once that piece of action is finished, uh, switch off, had a, have a chat to your mate at slip, or if you've got one around close by, have a, a chat to him, think about something else, and then as soon as the bowler runs in, uh, you start thinking about it again at the top of his run up, and when he starts that movement in, you start switching back on again, but you can't, it's physically impossible to concentrate the whole time with that great intensity, Take, go back to your days in the classroom and just think, uh, you know, if the teachers expected you uh, to concentrate and be attentive to the same level throughout the day they're dreaming. you just got to get out of it uh, the most important things that you can at the time. So that would be ad my advice, horse, to you, young fella. Um, stay fit, stay healthy, keep a smile on your face because it's that kind of job. 
you're the only keeper in the team. It's not as if you can go to anyone else and say, and how's your keeping going today? Because you're it. So uh, that's uh, one of my um, pieces of advice. And, and then just as I say, switch on, switch off when the bowler's coming in. And when it's, uh, the ball's back in the uh, fielder's hands, etc., not coming towards you, switch off. Uh, Tiger versus Mickelson. If anyone remembers Abdullah the Butcher versus Mark Lewin. No, not really. Kelly Slater versus Andy Irons. A great surfing one. Uh, Smithy. Uh, here we go. What's this? What a, a bloody shame the batsman couldn't put up a fight more. So how can Captain Latham say his after-game speech? He was pleased in the boys, showing some grit and determination. What a joke. That person who has let, was left out there of, uh, of the 11. That person who has that was left out of the 11. Okay, oh, I get you. Now, okay, so yeah, a little, there's a lot of feeling about this uh, Black Caps performance, and I think that's fair enough too on the basis that we now uh, expect a lot from them. They are the world champions, top of the tree, number one ranked they were. I think India are now, um, but I think it was fully within our rights to show the same level of disappointment uh, that we show from uh, with a poor performance by the All Blacks from time to time, and I think uh, they've, they've got to expect that that is the case. Pakistan versus India for hatred, the Ashes for viewing, um, and go care, don't care about the passion. All Blacks versus uh, South Africa. Uh, personal, any Southland team playing Otago, go the Stags and Southland men's and women's softball. Marty Banks for mayor. Tim's buggered. <laughs> Tim Shapel's buggered. Sad he's been awesome for Invercargill. So, hmm. uh, nice to hear from uh, you guys way down south. Uh, the other th- thing of interest for me, yeah, coming out of that test match, is uh, you get 10 wickets in an innings, you create. A uh, massive amount of history uh, along the way. You get uh, 14 in the match, and you're not even considered for man of the match. That's an interesting one. Takes me back to uh, when New Zealand beat Australia at Bell Reeve, uh, knocked over Australia, and David Warner was man of the match. Uh, I found that quite amusing. Well, um, AJ Patel, uh, the reason why I, I would imagine that the commentators, whoever uh, were uh, responsible for making the decision, decided that uh, even though Patel's performance was just unbelievably good, freakish in fact, it didn't influence the match the way that uh, my Yanks innings, uh, in both, or both innings actually, contributed to uh, the match in itself. So that's the way they work it out, if you're ever wondering uh, who has the most influence on the outcome of the match. Uh, and it wasn't uh, Ajaz Patel. But it is quite re- remarkable when you think about it. 9.30 here on SENZ, uh, time for Trudy in the News. here on SENZ, Uh, Phil Tautarangi joins us now, teared up with Phil, uh, 7am on Saturday mornings here on SENZ, Uh, Phil good morning to you, Uh, another um, very elite tournament played uh, over the weekend really, uh, this beautiful venue, Uh, and Victor Hogland coming up with uh, Eagle Eagle Birdie in the three uh, three hole stretch which pretty much summed up uh, first place and the million bucks, so uh, he's had a good year Hogland. Yeah, Morten, uh, uh, you're right, it kind of gets to this time of the year. It's a bit of a silly season where, um, you know, it's a little bit of a uh, holiday cash grab for those that are, uh, are talented enough, that's for sure. Um, and don't decry that. I mean, uh, Tiger, obviously, uh, and we'll get around to him, I'm, I'm sure, in just a couple of moments, has this little event um, out in the Bahamas. Um, it, it, there's a technicality that uh, the field is put together by the PGA Tour, um, through a 
you know, inclusion of those that have played well throughout the season, the World Golf rankings, of course. Tiger gets a couple of invites here and there. And so 20-man field, uh, stack load of cash, official world ranking points, which um, a lot of a lot of the rank and file kind of go, geez, really? Um, not, a, not only is it a select field for the few, but you kind of pad your, uh, your positioning in the, in the world rankings as well. But that's all part of running an event of, of this nature. It's not all just about uh, raising funds for, for Tigers Foundation, but, uh, you know, if you're going to, have an incentive for the top players in the world to come and play. It's getting a call from Tiger is mostly enough to come and hang out mm. in the Bahamas for a week. But, um, but you know, it's, it's all part and parcel of putting an event on. And, and look, are they meaningful? Do they do they fit in the highlights reel of a, of a player's career? No. But I guess for a player like Hovland, who's 23, 24, um, is is kind of in that next echelon of young players that maybe isn't isn't quite as much in the headlines as uh, as the likes of Morikawa, who's already ticked off a major championship or two. Um, he he kind of gets to compare himself against the best. Yeah, they're not playing in a major championship venue, but if you um, you get to weigh yourself up against the best coming down the stretch wherever the tournament is, um, you never know where that might parlay in the, with the coming season. Here's one for the club golfers to make you feel a little bit better about uh, making the odd mistake on the course. Uh, Stenson and Spieth hitting off the wrong tees, hitting off the wrong tees and getting uh, getting shot penalties, uh, two shot penalties because of that. Yeah, no, I guess this is the, the nature of the, the, the course there is they've got multiple different tees that they can use with different wind conditions and this and that and the other and Look, in a 20-man field, when you uh, you start the day, the final day, in 19th and 20th position, regardless of what check you're going to get uh, deposited in your bank account the next day, maybe your mind might be elsewhere. And uh, it appears like the setup was uh, changed a little bit uh, for the final round. And uh, the crazy thing for me in this, Smithy, is that I can get it that the players are kind of having a conversation and they walk straight up to the tee box where they played off from yesterday. But they had two caddies there as well, and they had a couple mm. of officials walking around, and no one, no one picked it up until they got down the fairway. Rules officials said, "Ah, you guys seen off the wrong hole. Come back, hit another couple. We'll uh, we'll add a couple of shots to you." It made absolutely no difference to where they finished in the field. But you're right. I think uh, a lot of a lot of club golfers will take solace in that. That, geez, even even the best in the world do that from time to time. <laughs> I must admit, I did find that uh, I found that quite amusing, uh, to be honest. The Hero World Challenge was the event over the weekend, and uh, the host of that event, Tiger Woods, who normally uh, I remember when it was first played, it was uh, it was touted really as his tournament. Uh, Hero getting in behind him, and and uh, of course it was great to see him back there hitting uh, a few buckets of balls from time to time. But uh, an interesting press conference where he uh, he basically said, "Let's uh, let's not get carried away here." Yeah, look, it's uh, very, very interesting. I've listened to it a couple of times, Smithy, because you've, um, with Tiger throughout his throughout his career, he's been a mastermind of the media. Um, there was a little period there around 2009, 2010, where the media felt like they might have got the better of him. Um, but um, but for the most part, he doesn't give away much, and and you don't get, you know, you don't get amazing quotes out of, out of Tiger. But it was interesting to listen to it just a few times over 
and and try and decode it. And I guess if, if, if having the privileged position of, of knowing him personally and kind of having personal conversations with him um, around the tour, you kind of get a feel for, okay, well, that's, that's what he says at the press conference, but what does that really mean? And I, and I kind of took this up a little bit just a couple of weeks ago when he posted his first swing video, um, and he said, getting there. And a lot of people, you know, a couple of, couple of words, what does that really mean? And, you know, a lot of people were kind of infatuated with the fact that he was posting a swing again and that there was a track man down there. But there was a whole heap in that, that three-second video that suggested that this wasn't his first day back out on the range. A, that's what, never what Tiger does. He never just turns up unprepared. So he's never going to put something else on social media unless it's kind of past his, uh, his, his eye test. And um, it, with his press conference at his tournament here a couple of weeks ago, he talked about a couple of things that got my eye. One, that, that his, his schedule is going to be restricted going forward. Well, that's nothing new. However, it's going to be interesting as to what events will be on that. There's major championships. He's all exempt for life exemptions into a couple of them. Um, he hosts a couple of tournaments, so he's going to play in those ones as well. Um, but then, you know, if it's 10 tournaments a year, what, what are the other events that are going to be on that schedule? And... Um, you know, he suggested that possibly they're going to be close to home. And so that was one thing that was interesting. The other thing is he said, look, um, forget about it if you think I'm going to play a full schedule. Um, but he did reference Ben Hogan that uh, after his car accident back in the late 40s, came back and won major championships after that. So maybe a little giveaway that he is most definitely not done with trying to win major championships, but he's done preparing in the same way that he has throughout his career. And so it will be an interesting space. He, he plays cat and mouse with, with the media, with the fans, uh, with everyone that, that takes interest in his career. Um, I suggest that that he will play a little bit in the start of 2022. He may even tee it up in the next couple of weeks in the father-son. Um, but I think there's a fair bit more that's going on in the background there um, because he doesn't just turn up and hit balls on the range like he has uh, in the last few days and show himself off to the public um, mm. without knowing that there's a little bit on it. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Uh, even then, probably the biggest headline, um, overshadowing the event itself. But that is the drawing power of the man. Now, hey, Phil, you've got an exciting new um, uh, development you've been working on. And what, opens this Friday near Hamilton? Yes, but it has been for the three years. We actually had a project team hit around yesterday afternoon, which was um, which was great for a number of different people. Look, I've been involved yet in, in with my design partner Brett Thompson in designing the new. It's called Tieki Golf Estate. The, it's the old Lockheel Golf Course from Riverside Golf Club, right beside the uh, Mystery Creek grounds there in in, in the Tron. Um, been a three-year project, Smithy, and so um, we've been fortunate to have a lot of great people work alongside us, uh, build the golf course, and um, she's just about to uh, to cut the ribbon. Actually, first tea times tomorrow morning. Um, no surprise is that the golf fanatic Eric Murray has secured a tea time. Uh, he's an absolute golf nut and looking forward to playing the course. So, um, pretty full tea sheet the next uh, next few days for the public. They'll be able to get a um, get their first look at it um, after Christmas. Um, but I know that a lot of the members that um, that have been keen and supportive of the whole process are uh, really keen to get out there and have their first hits over the next few days. Interesting. Actually doing the same thing 
um, at uh, Hastings at Bridge Park very shortly. Uh, once they get all sorts of permits and things sorted out, they've voted to do that as well. So nice to see some of the traditional old courses um, taking the big step of, of redeveloping and moving forward for those players in the future. I, I think it's, uh, it's quite exciting, Phil. Uh, one of the things we're, we're talking about this morning uh, is great sporting rivalries. You'd, you'd have seen a few over the years. Yeah, have have done. Um, haven't been a, a part of too many. Familiar, you, you, you reserve people a bit more talented than myself. But um, I, I mentioned, uh, heard they're uh, talking about that at the start of the show and some people that have been texting in. I guess in the golf round, everyone's kind of wondering if, if Tiger's ever really had a rival, to be fair. He's mostly had plenty of rivals, but none that have stood up to him on too many Sundays and major championships. I think we kind of missed out on on a, an era where it could have been Mickelson, it could have been Owls, it could have been Singh, it could have been Garcia, it could have been anybody that kind of stood up to Tiger and, and generally they um, they all came second or, or third. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the, the sporting events, as much as anything that's created this rivalry and, and it seems like it's kind of living longer and I hope it doesn't get too matey-matey, um, is of course the Ryder Cup, Smithy. I think mm. that's, um, you know, it's one event that that every couple of years it brings the best players in the world. They've become a lot closer because a lot of the European Tour players, of course, now play full-time on the, the PGA Tour. But in years past, uh, it was the one week where outside of the major championships, the best players from Europe and the best players from the PGA Tour would come together. There would be all sorts of name-calling. Um, there'd be matches where there were not shots given. There were... Um, you know the odd time where a glove was torn at the right uh, at the wrong moment in the middle of a downswing. There was all sorts of uh, stuff going on outside the ropes as well. And uh, the years when when Palos was leading the European team, um, and maybe Paul Azinger was leading the uh, the American team, there were some uh, some moments when you would put them down as not only the biggest rivalry but maybe some of the biggest feuds in sport. And uh, they were great scenes. Well, as always, great catching up with you, my friend. Uh, 7 o'clock Saturday mornings, tee it up with uh, Phil this Saturday, up and running. Hey, and good luck uh, too with uh, Tiaka. Sounds very, very exciting, mate. Yeah, appreciate that, Smitty. And hey, look, I just wanted to just give a quick quick little shout because we had that great uh, campaign mm. with Movember through the months of November. And although yep. that's kind of done and dusted, we, we had the Pro Pro Golfers Garage sale and we've still got a couple of items that are, that are going there. Foxy put a set of irons up last week. Mark Brown put a set of irons up in a, in a golf bag that's got the Movember emblem on it. Um, I can announce to you that uh, later on this week we're going to have a couple of wedges signed by our own Lydia Coe that she's donated up on that garage sale, which will go through and we'll cancel everything out just to be the week before Christmas. The 17th of December, we're going to cancel everything out, all of those funds going to our friends at Movember. So encourage you to go on the Movember website, Golf New Zealand are behind it, and then the auction site where everything's sitting up is the Good Sell website. Um, so encourage those golf fans if they want a bit of memorabilia to uh, to go along to that site. Sounds like a hell of a present for Christmas to me, uh, kids. Wouldn't sons, be bad. Number one, yeah, number one, two, three, son. If you're listening, uh, get on that website <laughs> on behalf of Dad. Uh, that would be nice. Hey Phil, thank you very much for for your time this morning. As always. Um, uh, have a great Christmas too, um, and, and hope yeah, you get everything you deserve. Cheers, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Phil Tatarangi there, folks, uh, with his normal slot uh, this time on a Tuesday, uh, keeping us up to date. Uh, exciting news about uh, Tiger.
exciting news about Tiaki near Hamilton, the old Lockheel course, uh, being rejuvenated and uh, opening up for the public uh, around Christmas. What an exciting new venture that will be. 9.45 here on SENZ. Uh, a few more of your texts uh, and then a multi before 10 o'clock. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A number of texts uh, have come in uh, on these uh, issues. Uh, Chris says uh, AJ's got a couple of other awards, a signed shirt by the Indian team and one of the match balls and score sheet, but unfortunately the Black Caps lost by a record margin, so it would be hard to give a man of the match. Maybe if they took to today five and lost by 100 runs or something, then he would have got it. Uh, good thoughts there, uh, Chris, uh, and your understanding of uh, how they actually adjudicated. But it was nice that uh, the Indians did pay tribute um, to, uh, to him, of course, born in Mumbai. Um, a great shot of, of uh, Virat Kohli actually personally going up towards the New Zealand dressing room to congratulate him. And I, I noticed he got uh, a lot of very fond embraces at the end of the test match uh, for his uh, magnificent contribution to that game. So uh, great memories for uh, Ajaz uh, Patel, no doubt about that. Uh, also, I've stead uh, back Jamison, and if he was good enough to bat seven, I think Ajaz would slot into that lineup no matter what type of wicket. Um, the, the best man, uh, oh, hello, he's coming from Stephen Smithy. The best man to replace Tim Shadbolt is my mate Tom Conroy, best rugby commentator in the South Island. It's time for Tom, says Stephen. And I agree. Uh, Tom Conroy, very, very fine rugby commentator, lovely man too, and has uh, Southland or Invercargill in the Southland area uh, in his heart. So I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure if Tom Conroy is standing, uh, but he wouldn't be a bad he would not be a bad replacement for Tim Shadbolt. Uh, that's and uh, Southland Sport would be well and truly looked after. Uh, Smithy, today's great rivalry, uh, New Zealanders versus the MIQ lobby. Uh, very good, Zane, tongue-in-cheek, but uh, pretty accurate. No doubt about that. How about uh, Greg from Frasertown coming with Spencer versus Mertens, Marshall and Kelleher, Lomu and France, Tane Randall and Leadership. So there's some serious ones and some slightly funny ones, but uh, all very accurate there. Um, Jared says my top five favourite sporting rivalries All Blacks uh, versus the Wallabies Schumacher versus Harkonnen The Ryder Cup Otago versus Canterbury Black Caps uh, versus Australia uh, Hi Ian Smith Zade sporting rivalries All Blacks versus uh, the Springboks uh, Australia versus the Black Caps The Lakers versus the Clippers And the Crusaders versus the Blues And finally Nadal versus Federer Borg versus McEnroe So you can see a lot of people in their own favourite sports Coming in with a lot of answers there. 9.52 here on SENZ. Continue to send them in. Uh, the greatest rivalries in sport. Double eight, double three is the text number there. Uh, when we return, we shall have a multi for you. Voice of sport in New Zealand. <laughs> Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday the Buffalo Bills did get up and beat the, the Patriots. Uh, that was uh, a good win for us. Uh, in fact, no, I'm, I've got the wrong one. Oh, that's today's one. Sorry, the Buffalo Bills to beat the New England Patriots. That's today's one. What am I looking at? Uh, sorry, the Kansas City Chiefs got up to beat the Denver Broncos. Uh, convincing enough to uh, take in that 8.5 point start, $1.87. So that's up. Uh, Utah Jazz to beat the Cleveland Cavs at $1.48. The reason I'm in a bit of a tizz at the moment because the, the last league is still going. Uh, Everton against Arsenal. Uh, we need the draw. At halftime, Arsenal are leading Everton 1-0. But it is at Everton. 
I fancy they might steal a goal back during the second half. And if that comes to fruition, that'll be $9.13. Uh, that'll be a nice return for uh, a Monday. Today's Tuesday one, right, let's get that right. Buffalo Bills to beat New England Patriots at buck sixty-six. That's Monday night football American time. That comes in this afternoon. Uh, and then two basketball games, the Detroit Pistons to beat OKC, who are very average these days, at $1.52. And the Indiana Pacers to beat the Washington Wizards at buck forty-two. And that will return $3.58. So we shall keep you informed on Everton versus Arsenal. Uh, very important uh, Premier League match. Uh, Everton right down the bottom of the table. Arsenal mid-table, but for Everton, uh, it's early days. But they want to break free of that horrible relegation zone. And they're perilously close at the moment. And 9.59 out here on SENZ. Coming up to news time with Trudy. Uh, after that, Craig Cumming. Let's put a full stop on uh, the Black Caps season really 2012 is uh, 2021 is uh, all done for them uh, didn't end on the greatest of notes Sid coming with it next day or night summer or winter he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ just had a vision there of uh, Jay-Z and uh, Mark Robinson across the boardroom table negotiating Artie Savia's contract there. It was quite a strange vision, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, I uh, wonder how that would have went. Well, we know um, Artie's got his way and he's back with the All Blacks for quite some time, it seems, as is uh, Sam Kane. News coming through this morning uh, for another long-term period. Um, but let's uh, move on to perhaps finalising uh, the uh, Black Caps year, shall we? Uh, I've lost another series to India and India losing the decisive test by a whopping 372 runs in Mumbai. Uh, barring Will Somerville, the bowling wasn't too bad, but the batting got worse and worse as the tour went on, I think it's fair to say. And to help us uh, take a look at this is a very successful coach at the moment, uh, Otago Sparks coach and former Black Caps uh, opener, of course, Craig Cumming. Uh, how would you sum up that last test match, uh, Craig Cumming? Uh, highs and lows, I think, Smithy. Yeah, very good morning. Um, obviously, you know, highly talked about Ajax Patel with, you know, with 10 wickets in an innings, which it was quite emotional, Smithy. I was watching it. Um, I was in Hamilton, actually, and when it was happening, you, you sort of, I don't know, I, I had a little bit of that sense, like you were there when Brendan got his 300. Um, slightly different because you weren't at the ground and we were removed because we were watching it on TV, but a, a very, very special moment in the history of the game and, you know, for someone like Ajaz, um, you know, never ever forget that as will all of us who are watching but unfortunately for him two hours, ten minutes later, I think he was back bowling so they, they probably didn't get a time to digest it. Uh, they'll look at that last test and, and be pretty disappointed I think. Probably um, their techniques were probably exposed against the turning ball but if you go back to it the, the real damage was done in that first innings by losing three wickets quickly to see. Um, even though spin played a huge factor, it was actually probably the way we played that first 20 minutes, half an hour in that first innings, which, and then the momentum was all of India. So they'll be disappointed. I, I know there's maybe a chance to reflect on the first test and could they have gone for a win? I, I don't think they could have. I don't think they were ever going to win that first test. But in some ways, I suppose, again, lessons learned. It shows it's very hard to play in India, Smithy against their, you know, scene and spin, um, and we're going to have to reflect on that and um, try and get better in the future when we play in those conditions. So was it a mindset, you think, getting entering into that two-test series that uh, as long as we don't lose, we've won? Oh, it's, it's hard to know because, I mean, I think this Black Caps side always goes out to play to win, and 
they've dealt with really special moments in, in the last three or four years pretty well. Uh, you've got to give it credit. I mean, India, look at their history. I mean, they're, they're not easy to beat. Their home conditions are. They're a little bit like playing us in our conditions. I mean, we beat them here in a test series. We played them in a neutral venue, and we won the World Test Championship against them. But over there, it's just so tough because... They can their style of play suits obviously home conditions. They can their balance of their side is suited because they can play the extra spinner. Their batters don't get the extra bounce that we like to sort of do when we bowl. And to me, it's summed up when we're trying to pick our side to play them, and we we weren't sure of what our best eleven was. And even going into that second game, I mean, I, I was a fan of playing Neil Wagner. I would play him every day of the week. So when we're starting to be questioning how we're going to pick our side. You know, it just shows how tough it is playing over there. So, um, you know, it's it's a tough one. Expectations on this team is very high now, Smithy. We know that. But again, it's probably we've, we're just one of many who have gone to India and we come home with our tail between our legs. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are. And, I, you know, I'm not sure that we should just sit back and take it like we used to. I, I really think we, we need to look at it. I mean, we're the, the World Test champions. Um, you know, we're always never, not always going to play in, in conditions that are absolutely friendly to us, so we have to perhaps get better at playing in them. Mm. Uh, I mean, Australia's another situation where we just cannot seem to buy a trick over there either, so we've got, we, we've got to get better at playing away from home. I think that's the thing. Uh, when we get to England, we're fine. Very replicates our conditions, uh, and it suits us down to the ground, so we play pretty well there too, but let's look at things that um, perhaps long-term things that we need to find out about. Number one, Kane Williamson's elbow. Uh, what what is going to happen here? I mean, we can't, as good as he is and as great as he's been, you, you, you can't have a captain just, for me, coming and going on the basis you don't quite know whether his elbow is going to be up for it from test match to test match. No, dead right. I mean, we've also got to remember he didn't play that, that second test and, you know, you take away your best player and, and one of the top three or four players in the world, but also our best player of spin um, and that, that certainly, you know, challenges this order and when you look at, um, you know, he's going to have to prioritise. I think in the future they're going to have to look at it, Smithy. I don't know whether the injury is something that can actually get back to 100% or is he's always going to deal with it. If he's always going to have to deal with it in the future, I dare say prioritising what cricket he plays is really important. And I don't know how you feel, but I'd love to see him prioritise probably test cricket, one-day cricket, and then T20 cricket. Uh, the problem with that is we've got so much T20 cricket going on that you know, if you don't play those things, then you might miss out on a chunk of the summer. But we need him. We need his leadership. We need him as a player um, for the next four or five years, especially when you consider Ross Taylor and how long has he got left in the game. Um, we need to make sure Kane Williamson's fit. But you're right, they've got to prioritise when and how he's playing and what formats he's playing because obviously the, the workload at the moment is too much. Well, he's just been retained by the Sunrisers Hyderabad. So <laughs> clearly, I mean, you know... Uh, <laughs> There's, I mean, there's a personal priority. Uh, it's got to be. I mean, it, you know, it's so much a part of his, his, uh, his income, uh, you know, his planning for the future, etc. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, that's, and that, there's no secret about it. Uh, it used to be people used to try and uh, say, well, that's not really, it's not about the money. Well, the fact of the matter is it's a big employment decision, uh, and for him to miss that uh, would be crucial for, uh, you know, the way he plans his year. So whatever they do, uh, they've got to manage it very carefully. Yeah, they do. There's, what is it, 2.8 million reasons probably why uh, that takes mm. priority. Um, you know, so you can fully... I mean, I think that would be 10 or 11 times as contract with New Zealand cricket. So 
New Zealand cricket always find a window and they let the players be available for the IPL because when you compare what we earn to other players around the world, I mean, Australia's, I think, number one contract's about $2.8 million. Um, New Zealand cricket, I think, Kane Williamson, I would say, would be New Zealand's number one contracted player. He'd be on about two hundred and fifty to 280000 So, yeah, you've got to factor it in. It is what it is, and he's always going to be available to play that. Um, it's what, I suppose, you put that into the calendar and then the way you work around it. Um, you know, even, you know, it's the way, you know, look at Trent Bolt. He's not on the series. Um, would that have made a difference? We don't know. But players are deciding, especially in our current um, climate, that they need to have breaks. But um, I always find it hard when they're, when they're not playing for New Zealand, Smithy, and they're not representing New Zealand, but you do see them playing franchise cricket. Um, I know that's old school, and I know that's not the way the future is, but we've got to factor that in. Um, and we've also got to start future-proofing, looking for the next three or four years about how the side's going to look. And um, we're not always going to have Ross Taylor. We're not always going to have Trent Bolt, Tim Southey, Neil Wagner. So, you know, what is the future? Look, we've got good depth, but we're going to have to replace some of the greats of our game, and, and that's not going to be easy in the next two or three years. No, it's not. Uh, and dare I say, uh, if I look back on where it started to go wrong, it was about the moment that Devin Conway smashed his hand on his back. <laughs> I can't think... Well, honestly, I mean, did we win a game since then? Uh, I, I don't think so. Do, do, you know, do we... Uh, did, did our batting look uh, a lot weaker from that point onwards? I think so. Oh, you have to say so, uh, because you're right. I don't think we have won a game, actually, since uh, we lost the final. Um, then we didn't win a T20 game against India, and we drew one test and lost. So you're right. I mean, Kevin Conway is a massive part of our future, and, I mean, you just got to look at his record in, in all three formats of how important he is. So, you know, pretty costly mistake, and I know from everything I've read, Devin's pretty down about it and looking to get back for that first test against Bangladesh if all goes well. But, yep, sometimes... Small errors like that, I, I don't think I've ever seen or known of someone who's broken their hand, punching their back before. I've seen plenty of people do it. Um, but, um, yeah, costly. And, um, you know, he's he's much needed in the side because of, obviously, the quality he has. So he's certainly one. But, so, I mean, I, was really, I mean, I know Will Young missed out on that second test, but he's certainly still showing that he's growing. And I just don't think Will Young's an opener. Um, I, I see him being more a middle-order player. But at the moment... He's doing that role. They decided to play Mitchell at three, which is surprising because he wasn't originally picked in the first squad and he only came in when Conway was um, injured. And then you had Phillips there who was originally picked in the squad. So, you know, those things. I would say New Zealand cricket will be doing quite a good review of this tour because, again, Smithy, um, we spoke. I don't know how Neil Wagner missed out, especially the second test. Um, and even the first test. I mean, this is a guy that's got close to 300 test wickets in the toughest conditions normally, and we didn't find room for him in our 11. I thought our bowling attack, other than Patel, I thought Jamison looked tired. I thought Saudi was um, trying to back up from a really good first test, but again, he looked a little bit fatigued, um, and they just went after Sumbleville. I, I don't know if Sumbleville Bob Hawley, but they just went after him, and he's an off-spinner who they like facing, and I tell you, I know who I'd rather be facing when it came to Will Samuel or Neil Wagner, um, and I uh, I wouldn't like to be facing Neil Wagner in the Nets when he gets home because I reckon he might be a little bit grumpy. Yeah, I think he will too. And I think if, if you were going to play Somerville, you had to play Wagner uh, because that maximised the chance of Somerville getting some help from the pitch. I, I don't really think they, they thought that through. I mean, a, a left-armer bowling left-armer creates footholds that a right-arm off-spinner dreams of. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure they helped him in that regard. So... Anyway, that, that's uh, another one that, uh, as you say, they might review, he says, in inverted commas. 
Uh, right, look, hey, it's only like, what, three and a half, well, three and a half, four weeks away till that first test against Bangladesh. Uh, a week of that will be uh, travel and quarantine and then self-isolating, etc. cetera, uh, and then back to business. So what does the business mean? I mean, we've both been to Bay Oval a lot. Um, predominantly, uh, we've liked to play our four big boys in most New Zealand venues. <laughs> does that mean that um, unbelievably Ajaz Patel might either carry the drinks or not be required at all? <laughs> Uh, and what does it mean for uh, Ross Taylor? What, is it, what does it mean for the batting lineup? Yeah, a lot of questions now come out. Um, good questions. I mean, I would not be surprised if someone like Saudi's given a bit of a break. Um, you know, he's been away. He played in all the formats and all the series from World Cup T20. And um, obviously Trent Bolt's back here. Um, he'll be he'll be fit and rearing to go. You've got Wagner, I believe, will be rearing to go. Jamison hasn't played a lot of cricket. He didn't play in the, a lot in the, in the World Cup and also the T20s. They're getting him ready for the Test Series. But you're right. I mean, AJ Patel's got that amazing record. He's one of three now to get 10 wickets in an innings, but never got a Test wicket in New Zealand. And as we know, when New Zealand pick their sides, in New Zealand, they often leave a spinner out. So I, I don't think you can do that anymore, Smitty. And also, I don't think, um, you know, when it comes to us playing in the future, we can do it. Bay Oval is one place you certainly will play a spinner. But the balance that goes around that, um, you know, Bolt, Wagner, maybe one of Southey and Jamison. The other one is who is our all-rounder, the one that Colin de Granholm used to do that role. Um, there's a question mark there. So, yeah, the balance is really, it really is um, up for discussion. And there'll be a lot of chat going on. You know, where does Ross Taylor stand? I mean, Smitty, I know you're close to Ross. And I think it's really tough when you've had six months basically being locked at home and, and no cricket to go over and then face India with no practice games. Um, Ross Taylor is class, but, but the, the end is in sight, without a doubt. So it'll be interesting to see whether Ross is sort of told by New Zealand cricket, look, you know, what do you want to do? Or Ross comes out, or he just wants to keep playing and, and say, right, I think I'm still good enough for a couple more years. To me, that's a really interesting one. Um, and I hopefully, from my, my perspective, hopefully it's done with, with the right respect that it deserves. Yeah, well, we know that in the past <laughs> that uh, always wasn't the case when it, when it came to Ross Taylor, and I I think uh, I probably will be this time round. But I would I would hate to think that uh, he he would <laughs> we would finish on twenty runs and four innings uh, to end such a great career. And yeah, I, I'm not quite sure that that will be the case, and I, I think he'll be quietly determined to make sure that that isn't. Uh, and I think he'll be lining up there um, as well. Uh, at Bay Oval. Hey, let's get uh, domestic, shall we, for a minute or two as well. Uh, Sid, Susie Bates is uh, back in great form, which is great news for um, the, the White Ferns going forward when you consider the, what's on their calendar. Uh, she's playing, seems to be playing well, as are your team, two from two. And you've got the Brave at, uh, at home uh, coming, this coming Sunday. Yeah, we're backing up. Um, we played them last Friday, and then we've got them again on Sunday, so we're looking forward to that. It's um, But the Super Smash is a bit different this year, Smithy. It's sort of spread out. It's over every weekend, so you're sort of, you know, you're used to playing probably every two or three days when it comes to Super Smash. Now you've got a big break in between, and that's the same for all teams, but, you know, we're looking forward to, to playing again at home, um, our last game before Christmas uh, in, in that time. And, yeah, you're right, Susie, Things are just starting to click nicely for Susie, which is great for not only us, but more importantly, actually, for, for the White Ferns when it comes to the, the World Cup in, in February, March. And throwing that, the, the form of Millie Kerr for the Blaze and with the bat and ball, 
Um, we want our white ferns to be standing up in these competitions. We'd, we'd like to see more of them. Um, we've had Katie Martin do really well, but we're just about to get into that exciting time. I mean, I know you'll be looking forward to it, Smithy, where, you know, that Christmas, New Year period, we start to relax, people start to finish work, and, you know, what do we want to do? Let's go watch some cricket and um, some exciting chances to get out and under this traffic light system, fingers crossed, people can come and watch and uh, enjoy domestic cricket, both the men's and women's, because the Super Smash is a really good competition. Uh, I think the standard's really good um, from both the men's and women, and um, what better way to enjoy your, enjoy your Christmas holidays, get out in the sun and then actually go and watch some domestic cricket. So cricket bats under the tree for the coming boys again this year, is it? <laughs> you know as well as I do, Smithy, that um, they don't have to wait for Christmas to get new cricket bats, and um, I don't know if there's even enough room under the tree. They, they're getting a bit old. I've got one leaving school, just left school now, Smithy, so he's about to enter the big wide world. He's in Wellington and Levin at the moment, and it's absolutely hosing down, so... Um, but no, they, as you know, with my boys, they don't go without, and um, they're very lucky, but um, they also uh, they enjoy playing the game. That's the most important thing. But uh, yeah, bats and the coming household never never seem to be a problem. If I had as much um, other things in my house as cricket bats, I'd be okay. Well, you don't have to worry about firewood. I mean, you buy them two a week, so when they <laughs> run out, you just cut them up and put them on the barbecue at Wanaka. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you did right, but it's it's probably expensive firewood, Smithy. But as you know, it's lucky to be connected <laughs> in the right places because I get looked after as well. But um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing when you have older, yeah, you've done it, um, older kids growing up. Um, I find it harder to watch them now than I did when they were younger. I don't know why, but it's it's one of those things of being a parent. <laughs> well, it's hard to not hard to burn things when you don't pay for them in the first place. So that's all I can say. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for your time this morning and your honest analysis. We wait with bated breath to see what that first, uh, that first uh, New Zealand side is for the new year. Should be interesting. Thanks very much, Sid. Uh, have a good one, mate. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Cheers. Okay. Uh, look, uh, ten nineteen here on SCN. Got very excited. SCNZ. I got very excited there. Uh, I looked down at my phone to get an update on that uh, football match, and it was one-one all of a sudden. Everton. Uh, against Arsenal, but uh, they had that goal disallowed uh, because of offside. So still, Arsenal leading 1-0 there. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we've got a panel for you. Exciting uh, topics to talk of too. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, good morning to you, and the panel consists of uh, Mark Hinton and Dave Worsley here, and uh, uh, let's begin, uh, fellas, uh, if we can. I'll start with you, Mark. Uh, There's a story coming out this morning from uh, the Stuff Sports Reporters, unnamed reporters, uh, uh, saying that Te Kura Nata Alingamate, the uh, well-travelled and uh, very experienced hooker uh, for the Black Ferns, has uh, opened up about a mental health crisis which he said came to a head on the team's recent Northern Tour, uh, based around treatment she's had uh, over her career by the sounds of it. This is disturbing stuff. Yeah, a huge story. This came out of an Instagram post by the 30-year-old Black Ferns hooker um, um, last night in which she basically opened up on, on her mental torment as part of the Black Ferns. So it's got to be ringing some massive alarm bells. We all know what happened on that tour in terms of on the field, 
And now we're hearing from a, a very experienced player of a culture um, that clearly Smitty, she felt uncomfortable and some of the wording um, that came out of her post, um, she talked about becoming mentally ill and having a breakdown um, during the tour. And um, she talked about, uh, uh, you know, some of the treatment or some of the um, comments she's had being of a sustained nature over a number of years. And she actually na- uh, directed them coming from the, the head coach. So I would suggest, Marie, given the area we're in, given the awareness that now exists around things like um, mental health, uh, treatment of players, bullying even, I would dare to use that word, this is a story that is going to have some major, major repercussions. We all know the cycling is dealing with some, some um, this whole aspect at the moment, and it's um, in somewhat of turmoil. Um, <coughs> Thank you, Pardon. I'm sure now New Zealand rugby um, are going to be asking some serious questions. Uh, this this really has lifted the lid on something that just can't be ignored, Smitty. Um, uh, watch this space will be all I would say as uh, this story plays out over coming days and even weeks. Yeah, Mark, I, I totally agree with you now because, uh, you know, up until this point, uh, it's sort of not been a, a rugby-type issue that we've been made, made aware of, but now... Uh, we clearly have. Dave Worsley uh, uh, quotes, quotes in this uh, particular article uh, that I'd been selected but didn't deserve to be in the team. I was told what my students would think of me. She works as a school teacher. Uh, I was born, sworn out for wearing my jacket around my hips. I was yelled at running to rucks. How I ran the ball, anything I did, I felt I was doing wrong. A recent comment that I was picked only to play the guitar. I mean... Goodness me, she doesn't name any names here, so uh, it would be wrong to uh, speculate who exactly is at fault till we find out, but um, pretty scathing. Well, there's a certain number of coaches um, you know, with the Black Ferns, so it's pretty much at them, coaches and management. There's only a number of them, a small number. I mean, I, I'm not too worried about being yelled at running to the rucks because the coach might say, I need you to run harder, faster, whatever. However, those earlier comments that he was embarrassed for me to be in the team. I didn't deserve to be there. I was only there to play my guitar or to play the guitar. That is, that's tough. That's, it doesn't matter who you are. When you get told that repetitively, as we assume it was, then you really do feel down and it's hard to get back up and uh, actually get your mental frame of mind into a positive frame and move forward. Uh, you know, that, that is um, pretty tough. Now, here's one thing I do wonder. Why are there no, or are there no female rugby coaches good enough? And hence you'll know this is, are there no female rugby coaches good enough that to actually take care of uh, these uh, new teams in um, the Super Rugby competition next year? Because it seems that there's never any female coaches associated, whether it's the Black Ferns or just about any team around the country. Mm, interesting there. Uh, we'll come back to that, actually, because... Uh, I know that there's uh, been assistant coaches thrown in around the mix. I'm not quite sure of the, the head coaching uh, appointments. There's no head coaches um, in Super Rugby do, yeah, next year. Yeah, do, uh, okay. Uh, I'll do a bit more homework on that um, uh, and try and come up with an answer there. But um, we've got plenty more to cover, fellas, so please stay with us. In the meantime, uh, 10.30, uh, and it's Trudy with the news. Big Opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah.
Dave Worsley and uh, Mark Hinton with us this morning. Mark, news coming through this morning, uh, slightly more pleasant news around the rugby scene. Anyway, uh, Sam Kane re-signing uh, for the long term. Does that mean uh, we'll expect a, an announcement on the captaincy around that as well at some stage? Hello, uh, no, I was on the Zoom call with uh, Sam this morning. Um, he uh, was asked about the captaincy. He said that's the, the last thing he's kind of thinking about at the moment. Um, he said um, basically it's his job to win his place back in the uh, in, in I guess the main lineup in, in, in light of I guess uh, the increased competition that exists around his position, particularly from Dalton Papa League. So um, he said he's not focused on that at all, and that'll come out in the wash uh, later on in the year. So um, was interesting to hear him um, speak. Uh, he said it was a no-brainer. To re-sign for New Zealand rugby even for such a long term through to uh, I think 2025. Um, he said he's, he's hugely motivated by that 2019 World Cup semi-final loss that still burns, um, and he and he wants to kind of um, get the All Blacks back to the mountaintop as it were. And he was asked about you know where he feel they've got to this year, and he, he gave some really nice insight on that. He said there's a lot of meetings, a lot of player-driven analysis as well as a lot of sharing of honest thoughts with the coaches during their week in MIQ. He intimated that um, they really, he said they pretty much looked under every rock about what went wrong in 2021. So, yeah, the All Blacks are doing a lot of of, uh, self-examination, but there's also a lot of commitment to the cause going forward. And I guess, Smithy, we should um, give New Zealand rugby some credit. They continue to retain the top end of their talent, um, you know, uh, in, in this part of the world and in an increasingly competitive market. So well done to them too. It's, it's important we keep our best players here at playing rugby in this part of the world so they tick that box. Well, they're probably going uh, a little bit better than cycling New Zealand, Dave, if you look at uh, yet another casualty just announced with uh, the sprint coach, Rene Wolfe, uh, resigning. Uh, you kind of get the feeling or you ask yourself the question, uh, when do they put a full stop on this? When can they? Yeah, it's a very difficult uh, question to submit. I mean, a full stop. I mean, how many sports, and I can name just about all of them, have had a Heron report or a McKinnon report or some other report like that? And so the cycle keeps going, as cycling, um, as we keep on going, the, the thing is with these sports, they get funding through success. So the coaches are told to push for success. The cyclists or the, the sports people are told we need success, otherwise the coach gets uh, loses the job, the high-performance person loses the job, Everybody loses a job because the funding isn't there. So it's a vicious cycle as such. I mean, I worked with a couple of sports. One particular sport said, oh, look, um, we didn't get as much funding as we would have liked out of high-performance sport and out of Sport NZ, so um, we're going to have to cut back. Um, someone's job's on the line. So it makes it very difficult. So you've got to push for success. And perhaps some of the coaches that are coming in from overseas just don't know how to deal with New Zealand cycling. Maybe that we aren't as, uh, we, we don't like to be pushed as such or as much. And that might be one difficult thing for them to comprehend coming here. But does uh, that help with success or not? So it's just a real shame. But we're going to have another report about another report about another report. And in the end, nothing much will change. We'll go through this again. And then I guarantee in five years' time, we'll get another report having to come out. Yeah, well, it's got to, I think it's got to find a resolution before that, uh, Mark, though, for me. Uh, just uh, there hasn't been a, a good headline about cycling uh, for so long it seems to me uh, and who can even remember 
uh, how well and who were the medalists were in Tokyo just the other day, theoretically, uh, because of these headlines. Yeah, well, I think it starts at the top smithy, cycling New Zealand, just a complete and utter lack of transparency around what's going on in their sport. Uh, you know, their, their release on this latest um, uh, departure, I guess, as, you, uh, as we might say, of, a, of Rene Wolf was, a, you know, four paragraphs long and basically just said he was leaving, up, he was, uh, leaving his position and they wished him luck. And it ended with cycling New Zealand is not able to answer any further questions on this issue. Look, um, I understand, you know, obviously things sometimes are, are, are delicate and you can't always open up on what you might want to say. But for me, Smithy, um, as the sport goes through such a tough time, we need to hear from the people at the top. We need to understand that they're acknowledging their problems and that they're addressing them. And I don't think we're hearing that from cycling New Zealand. And as Dave says, um, you know, they get public money, they get government money, they get taxpayer money to fund their sport. There has to be accountability. It needs to start happening. They can't hide behind these anonymous, or, or you know, these reviews that, are, as Dave says, keep going on. We need to hear from people at Cycling New Zealand. We need to hear that things are getting better. But this comes from the yeah, top, as in CEO, as in board, and it comes from also Sport New Zealand. Now, Sport New Zealand, since when have they put out a re release that actually has some substance? And I mean real substance, not, you know, oh, here's a lot of corporate gobbledygook. They've actually got to start from Sport NZ to actually get there. That, because they are meant to be the leaders, they're the funders. So they are meant to lead. So I want to see some lead leadership from them. I don't even know who their CEO is anymore. They don't do anything like that, but they're very good at putting out corporate you know, um, plans and processes that really don't lead to anything practical. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's ugly. It really is ugly for a sport that we've had so much great tradition in over the years, but you, you just kind of wonder behind the scenes until you get the answers at what cost we've got that success. Uh, what about, how, how about poor Ajaz Patel, Mark Hinton? 14 wickets in the match, uh, not even considered for man of the match. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've got to say, Smithy, look, wonderful performance from Ajaz, and, and, and cricket's a funny old sport, isn't it? Um, we can be sort of lauding an individual in, a, in an absolutely dismal team display, and that was that was poor from the back caps, and I'm sure you know, you'll be the first to admit that if someone wears his heart in the sleeve around that team, um, their batting was pathetic, and they didn't front. But what a wonderful individual performance, and, and, and I guess in cricket, you know, statistics are so important and the fact that he put himself on such a pedestal as one of only three players to have taken 10 wickets in an innings puts him into a special place in history and I guess it in a way kind of deflects a little bit from the disappointment of that performance but um, should he have got man of the match? I know there's, there's a bit of comment around that, um, you know you've got 14 wickets, 10 in an innings and that is, uh, as we say only been done twice previously. I don't have a problem with him not getting it um, the Indian opener Agara, Agawa, I think you say his name. Uh, sorry, Agawal. Um, a century mm. and a half in a winning effort. And to me, that's the most important thing. Did his individual performance help his team win? Absolutely, it did, and put them on the front foot against New Zealand in a position that the Black Caps weren't able to recover from. So while Ajax, Ajax's performance goes down in history, I don't have a problem with him not winning Man of the Match. Okay, uh, Dave Worsley, um, a, a, a serious fail, uh, the Black Caps tour of India. 
um, from the point that uh, Devin Conway smashed his bat with his hand for me, um, everything uh, sort of turned to custard. I'm not quite sure if that was the exact reason why. I'm sure it contributed to it, but uh, it just went downhill, spiralled very, very quickly. So um, not even close to a pass mark, really, is it? No, he wouldn't uh, consider it that. But also don't forget that Trent Bolt was at home as well. He didn't uh, want to be playing anymore, being away from his family for you know, no, no it's a good enough reasons. So there was uh, two people um, out that may have changed a little bit. But, yeah, it was a disappointing batting effort in particular in uh, the second test. Obviously, the bowling effort of uh, Patel just takes away from everything and makes it look sort of uh, rosy to a certain extent. I don't have too many issues with Salvi and uh, Carl Jameson in the second test bowling. No, they didn't take a lot of wickets, but they toiled hard on a pitch which obviously wasn't helping them that much, although, you know, Jameson in the first, uh, in the first test uh, seemed to do very well. Uh, yeah, I, I just wonder, it seemed, and it's very difficult from here, that some of the batsmen didn't appear to be applying themselves, but hey, what do I know? I never played for New Zealand. <laughs> uh, well, what, what I do know, you know, is a hell of a lot about tennis, so you'll be able to tell me. Uh, we've had a couple come in, uh, the greatest rivalries in tennis. Uh, one from you, Dave uh, Worsley. We've got uh, Nadal versus Federer, or Borg versus McEnroe. Borg versus McEnroe, I remember, is one of the great rivalries, but w- w- what in your mind, going back, would be perhaps the greatest rivalry in tennis, male or female? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, you know, you had um, Never to Labor against uh, Chrissy, uh, Chris Everett-Lloyd was a good one as well. Um, you know, everybody against um, uh, Monica Salas was quite a bit of fun as well until she was stabbed. I, I like seeing Martina Hingis against uh, the Williams sisters because they were such different styles. The Williams sisters came out hitting the ball incredibly hard and bashing it, being brash Americans. And you had Hingis who played more like a, a chess player as such. And that made it a lot of fun because of the differing styles. Uh, the one that I liked growing up initially uh, when I was young was seeing um, McEnroe, Connors and Lendl because you had the bad boy Americans against uh, the Czech player Lendl who was so po-faced, almost tediously boring and annoying that it was fantastic. It was great. I loved it because it was the brash Americans against the Czech communist sort of thing and that made it kind of fun especially in the uh, early 80s when it really was the Cold War as such And for you Mark Hinton greatest rivalry in sport that you can recall Well I love the England Fox and rugby um, I think England and Australia is pretty special in cricket and we're about to see another chapter of that, that, of that. but for me the one I grew up watching um, and it's not quite back to where it was was in the NBA the Lakers Celtics uh, through the 80s, I think they contested close to every NBA final or, or, or all but, um, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful rivalry. They both won, I think, in the region of 16-odd titles, um, but in the 80s, uh, they were there every year battling against each other. Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. For me, Lake and Celtics, you can't beat it. They've both um, got some way to go to get back to where they were, but Hope Springs Eternal and both great basketball cities. Okay, Mark Hinton, Dave Worsley, thank you so much for your time this morning uh, and those interesting insights, particularly uh, on the cycling and uh, what New Zealand rugby might face uh, as a result of uh, <coughs> those latest revelations around uh, the, the Black Ferns and uh, one player in particular. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, it's 10.43 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll have uh, time for some texts from you very shortly uh, and then we'll join Louis and the TAB shortly before 11 o'clock in heels after 11, Ian Healy, the great 
uh, Australia wicketkeeper batsman Ashes starting tomorrow. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Uh, text coming in by the dozen. Can we have the daily BBL update, please? And how many New Zealand players are playing for what teams, please, Smithy? Well, I can tell you that the Sydney Thunder easily accounted for the Brisbane Heat last night. Uh, and uh, the only player I know of, New Zealand player, who is currently playing in the BBL or is about to play is uh, Colin Munro, uh, who I understand is playing for the Perth Scorchers. Had a great season for them last year and uh, will be part of that group again this year. Uh, Aaron has come in from Christchurch. The greatest rivalry would have to be Shane Watson in the DRS system. Uh, Cam has said, uh, how about Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi? How good was that? Uh, outstanding. Another one has come in to say Darren Lockyer was man of the match in the 2008 World Cup final loss to the Kiwis. A jazz was Rob. Uh, Smithy, there are only three occasions uh, when you get player of the match, when you get a hiding. That is when you do something that's only been done three times in the history of Test cricket. Statistically, this will not happen again for another 2,000 Test matches. Uh, do you think the Black Caps result in India... Uh, was from meaningless uh, in India from meaningless home test centre playing the minnows like uh, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. Well, they're playing South Africa as well. That's a fair opponent. Uh, the Black Caps, uh, the Test World Champions, but still only get two Test series against the big four nations. Surely a three Test series against New Zealand would make money in these times. Uh, probably would, uh, I would imagine. But that's an agreement that comes around the uh, Test Championship uh, format that uh, decided uh, quite a long way out. To be fair. Uh, I do am um, thinking New Zealand has three tests against uh, England in England next year. I'm just thinking that is the case. Uh, can we have uh, Brian from Pocatani says, how about Bone Crusher? Bone Crusher and Waverley Star. Uh, what a cox plate that was. Uh, Chris from Kapiti, John Walker versus Philbert Bailly. Uh, that's, the, uh, uh, that's the Mount Rushmore subject uh, this morning, uh, and that will come up uh, around 11.40 this morning. Uh, John Day and I both uh, have picked four out. Uh, from our background, our backgrounds, it's ten fifty-one here on SCNZ. Louis Herman, what next? From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. The loveracing.nz update, your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And Louis Herman Watt joins us this morning. And uh, Louis, it seems uh, the fallout from this uh, cancelled meeting at Trentham, uh, it's not going to go away. I think uh, there's quite a few people have got their teeth stuck into this one. Uh, there might uh, well be casualties because of it. Uh, I know you are quite hot on the issue as well. Uh, and Royden Burgesson, of course, who's uh, got a very good stable uh, and a cracked two-year-old in Wolverine. Um, he's uh, far from happy about the deal either. Wondering why perhaps... They had to take the races away if they had to cancel them, take them out of the Central Districts area with Hastings on here tomorrow night. Yeah, it's really interesting for me. I like full transparency. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what the logic is from New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing, but for the Central Districts trainers, it sucks. You don't want to be casting a two-year-old up and down the country. No way. You know, you know as well as anyone from the that getting to Seddon Park throughout the years, you know, there's nothing worse than that right, that drive, and especially up to Auckland as well, when you've got a corrupt a million in the reckons. And just on that fallout, Aidan Rodley, fantastic uh, racing journalist. Obviously, you'd see him on trackside. He, he's tweeted out a few of the changes, so he's been on the beat of this. A few of the changes for the Group 1 Captain Cook Stakes. So, Royal Performer, Gino Severini, Chevelle Promoteur, Tiptronic on the rocks come in. 
great, awesome. Yeah, it's nice to have them here. But out goes Credit Manager against Central District's Chance, who I thought was way over the odds. Brando's going to the J-Swaps, uh, the J-Swaps Sprint, I believe. Miss Pike here in Rose, though. This is, this is gutting, and I don't know what the story is here with the Pittman, but I actually thought Miss Typhoon Rose on that on a good track in, uh, at Trenton was a genuine chance. And obviously Canterbury Base isn't going to kick on and head up to Tarathus. So that's really that's a real shame. Um, and it looks like Casacardia and Concert Hall are both nominated, but they'll probably go to the Phillies and Mears race. So, yeah, consequences still and the fallout still going on, Smithy. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. Some people might say it's a bit of an ugly thing, but I think it has to be sorted. Uh, and I think that people have to be made uh, a lot more aware of this thing and just how much and how deeply it impacts. It's just, just not a saying of getting a bunch of people in a room saying, not today, fellas, hard luck. Uh, I think it goes deeper than that. So, Louis, thank you very much for those thoughts, and I know that you will keep your finger on the pulse as far as that's concerned. Uh, also, with uh, casting an, an eye on it too, would have been Brendan Popwell. He was in, involved in the coverage at the weekend, so not a good scenario for anyone concerned uh, VP. Um, but uh, having said that, the, the TAB rolls on and uh, a day which involves a bit of Monday night football, I believe. Certainly does, Ian. Yes, uh, how are you doing, Smithy? Yeah, unfortunate situation there at Trentham. And um, yes, they uh, certainly watched the space because uh, that just wasn't good enough, was it, on the weekend with what we saw. Um, around the, the football, yes, you're right. Uh, Buffalo Bills 163 against New England Patriots 2 22. What I can say is the weather is going to be absolutely horrid there uh, this evening, and that could be a really big factor in this match. Uh, freezing, cold rain, swirling winds at 23 miles per hour. If you're looking for a bet in the game, I'd be looking towards the unders. Total points and unders here at $1.87. It should be a running game here, and they'll be looking to keep it tight. So unders, total points, 40.5 at $1.87. That, that line has moved from 42 over the last couple of hours with these terrible conditions in front of them. So that might be something to look at today. Thanks for the heads up, VP. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. A very good quarterback for Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Well, it's been 11 years since England have lifted the ashes on Australian soil and since then uh, the English have lost nine tests and drawn one in Australia. A host uh, pretty warm favourites to dominate once again and the first test starts at the Gabba tomorrow and joining us now is one of Queensland's favourite sons, one of Australia's best ever wicketkeeper batsmen uh, and our brother too uh, from SEN in Brisbane. Uh, I'm talking of course of uh, the legendary Ian Healy. Good morning to you Heels. Good morning, Smithy. Yeah, pretty exciting times over here in Brisbane. Uh, it's a big day, ready to go tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, untold times you woke up on the morning of the first test uh, from home. It was your base, of course. Um, but from a spectator's point of view, how much edge do you feel about this series? Um, n- not a whole lot of edge just yet. I think both sides are going to be quite conservative in how they behave because of the the Tim Payne scandal uh, and the racist scandal in English cricket. So the microscope will be on. I think they'll be a little within themselves to start with. But um, I think both fast bowling units are ready to try to ruffle some feathers and really put some top-order players under the pump. That might stir things up a bit right from the word go. Okay, so um, traditionally in Australia, when it comes to uh, playing against Australia and Australian pitchers, 
one of the sayings used to be was uh, nine times out of ten you bat first, the tenth time you think about bowling, but you bat anyway. Uh, what about uh, what about the gabber? What about the gabber and the conditions? Oh, I think this might be a bowl first, uh, so it, it, it goes against a lot in our in our cricket mythology. Um, it's been overcast. It's been heavy rain last week. There was a big storm again on Saturday night. Um, the wickets had an, a fair bit of sunshine that the groundsman could get on it over the weekend. That's good, a good thing. And, of course, he's under a bit of pressure because last year he produced a, a wicket which uh, was a lot flatter than a normal gabber, and it cracked up and it suited India, and, and it was mid-January. So it wasn't November or early December, so... He had that to blame. Um, that was his first Gabba pitch. This is his second. So I don't know whether he exactly knows what's going to happen, but it's green. Um, it probably should be together, and it'll be well bound by moisture, deep moisture, which will rise throughout the match. So I reckon, you know, the other thing, Smithy, is wherever you bat, whether you bat first or second in a match at the Gabba, you need to bat well. Day two, if you get knocked over on day one, it's still difficult to bat day two because it quickens up and hardens up. So so just don't be disastrous in your first inning. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, get that dominance. That, that Win that first day, I think, is, is crucial, whatever you do. Uh, Hills, now, uh, Australia had a lot of conjecture and a lot of uh, uncertainty about uh, their side uh, up until about, uh, I don't know, 10 days ago when you talked about uh, the captaincy and you came up with that new combination. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, two days out, uh, which is quite unusual. Um, you name your starting eleven, which is a, a real statement of certainty and a statement of organisation in its own right. Tell us uh, first of all about that Cummins-Smith partnership, as far as you're concerned, and that decision to reveal, uh, really, to reveal your Test eleven at the opening of the series. Yeah, um, the, the Test eleven reveal was something that John Buchanan started, I reckon. Would, but but we had a much more confident and settled team then. So I think now it's just to, um, you know, let everyone breathe and let everyone get their head into the job. Um, so, uh, and I get, yeah, um, and sort of Jai Richardson, for example, and Usman Khawaja could sort of take the next step in their mind on where they might end up this, this summer. Um, so that's not terribly new. I don't think it was uh, needed. I would like to hear... You know, we need to settle on that number five batting spot, whether it was Kawaja or Head. Um, that that could have been done a touch earlier, but I think they genuinely didn't know. They really had to sit down and think uh, what's good for the future, what's good for the team now, how, how both men are going to slot in. They seemed to take a lot of pressure off Marcus Harris, the opening batsman, a week or two ago, and just sort of said, no, 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 he's the opener when they were starting to talk about maybe Kawaja could open, you know. So it's been a little bit inconsistent, but OK. Uh, I like the combination of Smith and Cummins. I think that'll work well. It's a new style. Uh, uh, did you ever have Sir Richard captaining you guys? I think he was vice-captain at one point. I'm just harping back to that, actually. Uh, yes, I think he was vice-captain yeah. at one point, but uh, but only briefly, not, not long-term. Um, oh. So, yeah. And traditionally, they do a great job. Pat Cummins be a great, great uh, vice captain too. So, so now that he's captain, he's going to have to. He's got a man at least, Steve Smith. He can, he can throw the reins over to for half an hour. Take, take it while he, while he's cooling down, while he's simmering, 
down at fine leg or let, you know he'll be in the ring I'm sure but but um, you know that he's got a lot on his plate and they've got two men to do that job now so I, I think I think it's quite exciting to look forward to see how they go. Okay, so uh, David Warner, of course, is uh, one of the keys, uh, and he will start positively. We know that. Um, uh, and his battle with uh, with Stuart Broad will, has uh, almost been one of folk tales. Uh, this one, so that'll be interesting to see if uh, who can get the upper hand there. Very interesting. You know, I think Broad has mainly dominated him in England. So that, that's the sort of thinking Warner's got to have in his head anyway. I know I've done it here before. His his overseas record is a, a big difference to his at-home record, uh, Davey. So, and he's just got to maintain his basics, and he's good enough to get through Stuart Broad bowling around the wicket, nipping it away. You know, he can do that. So it, it has been quite a spell he's been under. Now, at the same time, his partner's got to help him out. He's either got to shepherd him a little bit, or, or he's just got to... They've got to work together uh, and not get stuck uh, now, Margaret Harris, pretty raw and pretty pretty young, but he's, he's going to have to step up and do that job and really enjoy that battle up front. Um, left-handers everywhere for the Aussies, so Broad will be licking his lips. Anderson looking at today's humidity once again. He'll be licking his lips to try to get a game, get a go on, on the newish gather. He, he doesn't traditionally like the Kookaburra ball. He doesn't do much with it, and, and it is a, a lot tougher to move sideways than the Duke ball of England. So, but but he came here with a lot of energy last time, and I believe his intensity is good this year in this preparation. So, so you know, if it's left-handers or right-handers, I'll have the answer for Jimmy Anderson if he's on. Interesting. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Mitchell Stark's done to Shane Warne over the years, but there seems to be an, an <laughs> ongoing campaign from Warney, uh perhaps for Mitchell Stark to not to be part of the... Uh, the starting eleven. Now you know, uh, you know both those guys extremely well for obvious reasons. Heels. Uh, Mitchell Stark for me is that he's only he's one of those guys who's only ever seems to be one or two good spells away from being back at the top of his game. It's all about rhythm for yeah. him and a little bit of confidence. Yes, that's a good call. And I saw that rhythm come back in the T20 World Cup. Uh, he was great. He even bowled economically and released the ball after a very rhythmical, pacey run-in. He got smashed in the final, so it didn't come out of the hand as well as he would have liked, I'd say. But I thought there was some rhythm there. So he, he's he been a nightmare in the nets uh, and in the centre wickets, they reckon, this week. So he's he's got the dirts about uh, probably warning. Um, and he, he'll fire up, I'm expecting... Him having been given a chance to sort of, uh, you know, you know, show show the selectors, show everyone what he's got um, uh, after last year. He's a bit down last year, but he he faced the loss of his father all summer. He was dealing with it, and his father passed away really young. It was like late fifties, so so he was dealing with a lot last year. Uh, Warney, you originally saw him fidgeting and, and sort of very unsettled in an early match and sort of so he's got to get his mind off himself and, and stop worrying about all these things and get onto it and you know Warney sort of said that he's a bit soft um, and you know Starkey doesn't care, Starkey sort of said do you want to you know catch up with Warney or whatever he said oh, I don't give a damn about Warney <laughs> that was a few years ago so mm. anyway Warney can needle him every now and then and uh, Australia might see the benefits um, I, I think yeah, um, I think he's got something not far away. 
Uh, that's cool. Cool to hear. Um, look, here's the other, because uh, Mitchell Stark, when he's on form, it's uh, something special to watch, I have got to say. Now, what about the opposition here, Hills? Um, uh, where have they been? What have they been doing? It's like from this side of the ditch anyway. It's pretty hard to even realise they're actually on Australian soil. It's been that quiet. <laughs> yes, uh, they closed ranks uh, very early, mainly probably for two to three weeks when they, they'd started here in Australia because of the racist uh, scandal that's going on in England. Uh, then And then Australia closed ranks a bit. So it's all been, you know, pistols at 10, 10 metres from the media as well as each other. Um yeah, they've at least they've given themselves every chance to to come in and be best prepared for the gather. Uh, they haven't had a, they have had disruptions because of the weather. Lots of indoor stuff. Uh, they've even been going for walks and doing some fitness in the rain, you know, which you can do in Queensland because it's warm rain at least. So they quite like that. Um, so yeah, it has it has felt a little bit quiet uh, on the England front. Um, I. I'm not sure. No one's really sure whether they're going to go with Mark Wood, uh, who's bowling fast, or Ollie Robertson, uh, who will get bounced. He's a big, tall number who, who will get bounced on the Australian batsman to go with Broad and Anderson. So um, that's still an undecided one. I don't know how they can fit all their batsmen in. You know, but they've got all a lot of all-rounder types that they've got to slot into their batting lineup, and they mightn't be that sure about that yet because of the lack of match practice. Um, you know, are they going to open with Burns and Hamid? Then Root doesn't seem to want to move up to three. So Darwood Milan might be three. Uh, um, Root, four. Then you've got Butler, Bairstow, Stokes, five, six and seven in whatever order you want to do. Where, which order is that going to be? You know, so they've got a, an upside down order that's uh, very difficult to get through their middle order easily. Where are the keys then, Heels? Uh, if you look at this, is a long, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, this uh, series. But where, where are the keys for you uh, at, at this point? Is it, it as simple as saying it's uh, lining up uh, uh, one or two batsmen against one or two bowlers and who dominates that wins? Or where, where do you see the, the, key, the key matchups? Well, that, that's a good one to start with, I reckon. Both bowling attacks against uh, both top orders, whether that be one to three or one to four, definitely one to three. Our Australian bowlers are very, very good. But I don't think they've won enough in their time. So I'd like to see them really get a rattle through this uh, English top order uh, this year. And they've got to be uh, quite, quite not nasty, but aggressive. And, and their intent really obvious right from the word go. Don't be stock bowlers. Bowl, bowl short, sharp, aggressive spells all innings long. So I want to see that. Uh, as you've mentioned, Warney... Warner and uh, Marcus Harris will be under the pump with that, that English new ball. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's the, they're the greatest keys. Those two. Uh, the other thing for the series is not to lose Brisbane. So, so if someone gets behind and gets on the back foot in Brisbane, they've got to really fight hard. You've got to fight hard to either get back on top or get the draw. Do not have a loss in Brisbane because Adelaide is very losable. Um, so, again, if, if England get the ball in, the, in their hands at the right time in a day-night Adelaide test, they can turn you inside out. And if they've won Brisbane and Australia goes 2-0 down after Adelaide, look out. You, you, can't, you might not be able to come back from that. And vice versa for England. If, if they're the ones that get behind in Brisbane, hang on hard. you really got to fight. I, I think there'll be big moments like that, whether it be 
Stokes or Butler getting away on Australia. They're going to have to find a way to uh, batten down the hatches. And so too uh, England. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward. There's going to be some real close big moments. But yeah, no, the biggest key, I reckon, is top order against bowling attacks. Well, the Tim Payne thing's been put to bed, so finally Tim Payne gets the opportunity to go away and sort a few things out and uh, get away from the spotlight, which puts Alex Carey in there. He won the job. Um, it was, might have been quite close in the end, but uh, Alex Carey, tell us yeah. a wee bit about how you think he'll cope in your former job. Yes, uh, he'll cope very well. He's done a great job as the understudy to Tim Payne and being the one-day keeper. He's even captained the one-day team recently on a on a young tour. We took to Bangladesh and West Indies and didn't have any success. But So good international experience, uh, good cricket belt, you know, under his belt. I think Josh Inglis maybe uh, has been, become a victim of being in the Australian team. So he was in the Australian team at the World T20 come back, he's played no shield cricket, no lead-up cricket, no red ball for a long time and could have could have been selected. Uh, he, he was so close to being selected, I reckon, but they've resorted back to experience and cricket under your belt. So uh, I, I think Alex will be very capable of not being too nervous uh, and, and putting his mind on the job, get, getting out of himself and putting his mind on the job at hand and that's getting these ashes done. He, He'll be, he'll be well and truly ready for that. Good man, um, nice, uh, you know, comfortable technique uh, and, you know, a, a great team man to have. Just finally, Heels, news has come through uh, and it used to be one of the great traditions uh, in any uh, tour of Australia was uh, Australia at the Wacker. Of course, that disappeared when they changed venues and went down the road to Optus, but it's not going to be even there two years in a row without uh, a test, an international match at... Uh, in West Australia, which I think is really, really sad. So who's going to cop the fifth one, in your opinion? Well, uh, again, it, it, uh, it has been pretty quick wicket too, Optus. It does does bounce through a bit, a bit like the Wacker. So that, they've got that going okay. Uh, we just can't get on it. Um, Hobart are making a big bid. I don't know whether, and that's government money, so I don't know how much that is. Um, Day-night test match, either in Sydney... So back-to-back tests in Sydney, if they can get the wickets done, then that'll be okay. I think Sydney and Melbourne could both be very suited to day-night cricket. So, you know, Melbourne is is the one in my mind. Um, and this year, Smithy, I'm happy, I'm very happy for Cricket Australia to go revenue. You take the one that creates the most money because last year, for example, it was $30 million spent on biosecurity. You know, revenues in our game are not high. It's time to go the revenue route for mine. And uh, so whichever opportunity produces the most revenue and then is uh, logistically easy for the broadcasters, etc., cetera, um, is my choice. So if that's Melbourne, get it there. A day-night test in Melbourne to finish an Ashes series be big. Eels, as always, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning and your insight into how you see it might go and particularly those conditions uh, enjoy, enjoy uh, the, the ashes. Uh, we certainly will from this yeah. side of the Tasman. Something, something I really look forward to. Thanks for your time this morning, buddy. Yeah. You're welcome, Sylvie. See ya. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ian Healy here, the great Ian Healy, with his uh, great insights there as to how he thinks the ashes will be played out and who are the key, the key matchups. Uh, it's 11.19 here on SENZ uh, when we return uh, some of your texts. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we'll have a stump smithy
around 11.30 is the game. Uh, perhaps doesn't sway quite as heavily in terms of the overall results uh, when you're looking at it, but it, it's just a home bias, that thing. Uh, and and it, it, it's been there since uh, cricket was invented. You just come to expect it. Sure, you, you're, you're eyes that you want your captain pe- to be lucky, but for some reason, not many captains are. And I, I don't know, they haven't got double-headed coins or double-tailed coins, uh, but they just tend to win the toss all the, all the damn time, and it's frustrating. So what you have to do uh, is that you can't do anything about it unless they change the rules to... Uh, the away team, the, the team that's travelling, gets the option every time they go to the ground on the first morning of a test, they get to decide um, whether that, uh, whether you know, the dominance of India winning because of that will be ever be a factor. I would seriously doubt that you'd get that passed um, passed in the uh, ICC boardroom. Seriously doubt that you'd get that passed. What you have to learn to do is cope with losing it, uh, and at the moment, not many sides are able of doing that. New Zealand included. And that means being able to bat better, um, bat better, handle the spin conditions better, and profit from it that way. Uh, so thanks very much for that text. Uh, I haven't got, uh, as you could probably hear from that, I haven't got the conclusive answer. Uh, but it is a critical component, as you say, but one you can only deal with on the field at the moment. Um, some more rivalries that have come in. Chief first spud, so uh, it's Harrigan against Carroll. This is very much a, a league one, this Tamati versus Dowling. Who will ever, ever forget that? Um, Kevin Tamati, Greg Dowling, spat, shall we say. What an absolute ripper that was. Uh, when they replay that, all eyes are glued. Blair versus Manly. I think that uh, should read Blair versus Manly. And Filipina versus uh, Lewis. So Olsen Filipina against Wally Lewis. That's uh, coming from Jake. Richard says uh, John Walker versus Steve Scott. First person to run 100 sub four minute miles, and who will ever forget that night at Mount Smart Stadium? John Walker against Steve Scott. That was a true rivalry, no doubt about it. Someone knows how to wind me up. Uh, they haven't put their name to it, but they said, You'll love this one, Smithy Stone Cold and Jake the Snake, Sean Michaels and Brett the Hitman Hart, The Undertaker and Kane, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Mm. You know how to get me. It wasn't uh, me, I enough. promise, Smithy. It wasn't me. I've left wrestling out someone, of my top four today. Someone close to you, John Hart, uh, John Day, there's no doubt about it. Someone that's very closely related to you or with the, uh, the very close beliefs. Uh, Smithy, what about Wally Lewis against anyone? That's from Graham. Um, hi, Smithy. Do we need, here's a good one, but I'm running out of time to answer. I might do that in the next half hour if we get the opportunity, actually, because it's a good one. Uh, from Mark about uh, subcontinent spinners from overseas playing in the Plunkett Shield. It's uh, coming up to 11.30 here on SENZ, 0800 811 is the phone number. Uh, time to try and win 50 bucks from the TAB, all the best. Class at his job. Well, someone took the wrong option yesterday. They chose to take on Smithy and Cricket in our daily quiz, and of course they lost. And so that means it's jackpotted to today, $100 from the TAB, as lo- uh, along with those Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep, uh, sleep and stress support supplements. And we've got Joe from Palmy North on the line. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Good morning, fellas. How are we? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, we're doing sporting rivalries uh, for our Mount Rushmore today. Uh, is the Ashes starting tomorrow? Is that up there for you? Oh, definitely. Yep. Yeah. No. Really looking forward to it. I'll be. Um, I'll be parked up there on the couch from tomorrow afternoon. I think. Yeah. You be beauty. Good. Yeah. You and a lot of others. Who are you tipping? The Aussies too good at home. Oh, whoever's 
Whoever's playing against the Aussies, mate, I'll tip them. <laughs> That's a great rivalry, yeah, so, rivalry isn't it? Yeah, Anyone I'm, against Australia. I'm England will get up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Awesome. Well, this game uh, works. You get three sporting categories. You choose one, then you get three questions. If you get them right, you win. But if you get one wrong, Smithy can come in and stump you. So today's categories are football, basketball, or Formula One. Do any of those tickle your fancy? Yeah, so the Formula One, is that like this season or like historical? Oh, it could be a mixture of both. We have to find out, Joe. Yeah, well, I've, I got into drive to survive at the start of the year, and I'm a great fan now. So, um, you know what? I'll, I'll go with one. I don't know how much of a fan Smithy is. So, <laughs> all right, we'll give it a crack. Everyone loves that drive to survive. Have you seen that, Smithy? No, I haven't. I have Neither. not seen drive to survive. <laughs> I no, need to. Brilliant. Clearly, I need to. Okay, we'll take your word for it, uh, Joe. Um, and that's the last nice thing I'll say to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, this one is a little bit historical, so good luck. Michael Schumacher was an amazing driver, but he also had a brother who won half a dozen F1 races. What was his name? Oh, George Schumacher, completely stabbed in the dark. <laughs> one of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not George Schumacher, but I love I love having a go. Smithy, you got a chance for a stumping. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this, but just a name, you know, when a, a surname comes at you, uh, it comes with a Christian name. I'm going to go Ralph. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, no. Oh, dear Joe, you have been stumped by Ian Smith. First ball. I've been stumped, yep. Unlucky, mate. Unlucky. On to the next. <laughs> Try again another no worries, day, mate. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, Brad, how's your Formula One knowledge? Uh, that guy's a mug. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Mate, great. All right. Two questions, and you can win 100 bucks from the TAB and those sleep drops. Question number two about Formula One. This year's Formula One title race is coming down to the final race on Monday. Where will that race be held? Any idea, Brad? Absolutely no idea. Um, nah. Uh, A country somewhere, anywhere in the world? City? Oh. A city of some sort? Nah. So. No One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, you know, another opportunity. Yeah, well, I know they're in this part of the world, but I, I, can't, I don't think I can single out uh, anywhere in particular. I think Jeddah was last week, or it could be this week. I could be absolutely wrong. I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia anyway. Saudi Arabia. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm just going to have to check with my, uh, my people next to me. Um, yeah, the scrutineers, that's the one, Brian. Um, can we accept Saudi Arabia? Maybe. Maybe. Where is this place? Oh, mm, oh, mm, I'm going to have to clear. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Abu Dhabi? In Saudi Arabia? No? Yes? No? No. No. UAE. It's in the UAE, isn't it? Yeah, you were there or about Smithy, and Jeddah was last week. You're right, but you're not quite right enough to stump Brad. So it comes down to the last question, Brad. For all the chocolates, for the 100 bucks and the sleep drops, 
Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are on level points heading into the last race of the year. Verstappen's won nine races, Hamilton's eight. Name one other driver who's won a race this year. Brad? Again, no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe I should change subjects when we get a new caller. It could be something I work on. But um, anyway, that means oh. Richie Benno gets another say. Unless you want to guess at another driver. Do you know any other drivers? No, nah, no, nah, duck. Right. I'll go Schumacher, though, for a laugh. <laughs> yeah, what about a guy who does a shoey when he wins? Still no idea. Okay. One of the worst things... <laughs> I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, another driver who's won in Formula One this year. There's four of them. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I'll be honest with you. So I'll, I'll chuck in the Aussie Danny Ricardo. Ricardo. <laughs> Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. Two stumpings. Double jackpot for tomorrow. Brad's already left the line in disgust. He's not happy. He's left the building because Smithy has two stumpings. That means 150 bucks tomorrow. Smithy and Brad has packed his bags and he is out of here. Yeah, I reckon I reckon Brad might have been at James Haskell's party then, then, back in 2012 that I was reading about down there in Dunedin. What a story that is. Uh, two uh, former All Blacks knocked unconscious in his backyard. Oh, God. Furniture being burnt. Oh, my police called visits to A&E. That seems like a hell of a party. And even at that stretches an Dunedin party to the limit, that one. Yeah, and makes Joshuani's what noise complaint seem quite tame, doesn't it, Smithy, as to what was going on 10 years ago? Who was it? Lima Sopawanga laid out and then uh, what uh, Elliot Jimmy Dixon Cowan. laid Jimmy out. Cowan. Jimmy Cowan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Good night out, that one. Uh, see you tomorrow at training, and that's apparently what happened. They fronted up the training not long afterwards, and no one said a thing about it. Isn't that just the Highlanders' way? It's 11.38 here on SENZ. When we return, time for Mount Rushmore. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Star-Spangled Banner there, if you can recognise it. It's a little bit cryptic, but it is Jimi Hendrix, and it is an absolute classic. It's 11.44 here on SENZ. What it does symbolise is, of course, Mount Rushmore. Uh, Mount Rushmore, and uh, the reason uh, why John decided on that this morning was a good one, because uh, tomorrow one of the great rivalries in sports starts. It's the ashes at the Gabba. Simple as that. John, will you have the honour this morning? All right, mate. I'll, uh, I'll bat first at the Gabba. Um, my favourite tennis rivalry. There's been plenty, and thanks so much for all the texts today. But for me, this is the greatest rivalry I've seen in tennis. I love Sampras Agassi, but this one, probably ahead of that. That's a way. What a contest. Roger Federer, 37 years of age. He's into his 12th Wimbledon final. That is Roger Federer, the last time he played Rafael Nadal in the Wimbledon final in 2019. 40 times they've played Smithy. You got an idea who wins the head-to-head between Rafa and Roger? Well, there'll be a few on clay, so Rafa will win all of those. Um, I'd say Roger just. There you go. No, Rafa on clay. He just beats him all the time. And he beat him on Wimbledon a few times. Made him cry once, actually, when he beat him in a final. 24 times Rafa won, 16 times for Federer. But it might have been the last time we've seen that rivalry, do you reckon, Smithy? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm not sure the old legs will get back to that point. If they do, it'll probably have to be in the very early rounds. I'm I'm not quite sure because 
um, the seedings won't be in favour of someone who's been out of the game for quite long. Just ask Andy Murray. So yeah, um, we might we might in an early round, but I don't think we'll see it in a Grand Slam final. Right, my number four uh, goes back in time a long time, and it really uh, was the launching of a bloke who became, they say, the greatest. Here we go. Tactics the same as in the first fight. Established almost immediately. Clay moving consistently to the left, virtually in a circle of the fight. Good right by Clay. Did you see the punch? Did you see it? By the ABC clock, 1 minute 53 seconds was 10 seconds after Liston hit the canvas. Walcott leaves the fighters. Liston still has reflexes. Look at him duck. Now Walcott has gotten information that Liston was down for a count of 10 and more. And so the fight is over and Muhammad Ali is still the champion in a scene of bedlam, chaos and confusion. Well, interesting there. He called him by two names, the commentator. He called him Muhammad Ali mm. towards the end of it. But up until that point, he called him Cassius Clay. And that is Cassius Clay against uh, Sonny Liston. Uh, when I was a kid growing up uh, and heavyweight boxing was a huge, huge thing back then, uh, that was the ultimate confrontation, the ultimate rivalry that I can remember going way, way back. And it launched uh, the career for me of Cassius Clay, who then, of course, became Muhammad Ali. Yeah, unreal. Unreal rivalry, that one. And my number three is one that is going to happen again tomorrow. Reed Headingley 2019. One of, if not the greatest, Test match innings ever played has just seen England the victory in the highest run chase in their history. Having played the first Test match way back in 1877, England triumph here against the odds. That, of course, is the Ashes and Ben Stokes, shades of Ian Botham, Smithy. It just delivers the greatest sporting drama in cricket, right back to body line, as from recently as Ben Stokes. So, for me, number three in sporting rivalries, the English against the Australians. 33 series won by the Australians, 32 by the English, and six drawn. So, over all those years, uh, it is still so close, and that's why I think it's cricket's greatest rivalry. And beautifully described there too, and you're dead right, by Mark Nicholas. One of the great wordsmiths in uh, television cricket commentary, I have to say. Uh, so, yeah, I, like, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. Thought long and hard about it. But I went for this one as my number three. Neil Lennon's Celtic advance to the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. They'll be heading to the Highlands to face Inverness. Curry Fistel and Neil Lennon and Ali McCoyster squaring up now. McCoyster will take over as manager at the end of the season. And everyone has to step in to stop that. Major flashpoint. Is unsavoury in the extreme with the manager of Celtic and the next manager of Rangers having a pop. <laughs> Ali McCoist involved there. That is the Celtic and Rangers. That is the old firm. That is one of the great rivalries. Uh, it's certainly the greatest in Scottish football, um, maybe in world football when you boil it back to the club. So, yep, Celtic versus Rangers for me in at number three. 
Yeah, fair enough too. Man, managers fighting on the pitch. No doubt it's the best rivalry in terms of just losing your call. Uh, so many players sent off in the Celtics versus Rangers games. My number two, uh, they didn't used to get sent off, but they do these days, and this is my favourite try from that rivalry. Here's the big fella, gets the pass on. Coyne, Coyne goes for the corner and gets the try. Queensland, it's a miracle performance. Oh, yeah. What about that from Queensland? I can't believe it. Unbridled joy on the sideline, and why not? That's not a try, that's a miracle. Uh. Mark Coyne in 94, <laughs> scoring for Queensland, and iconic commentary from Rabs Warren. It's weird being a New Zealander and getting so engrossed in a Queensland versus New South Wales series, but I have my whole life. So for me, number two, my favourite sporting rivalry, Queensland against New South Wales, the Cane Toads against the Cockroaches, Smithy. Yeah, I hope it hasn't lost its edge either from those glory days back then. There was a lot of gloating. Did you pick it up from Fatty Vorton in there as well? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he part of that great commentary <laughs> team with Sterlow and Rabs and Fatty? Uh, yeah, so uh, what a great moment that was and undoubtedly one of the great rivalries. But they say in America, they say in America that this is the greatest rivalry in sport over there. To the Red Sox yawning. Oh, Alex Rodriguez is drilled and... He says something to Bronson Arroyo. And we know what he said. Here we go. Veritek and A-Rod going at it. So much history, so much confrontation, so much feeling, particularly in the grandstands and the streets, etc., about this one. Uh, That's the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, Absolutely no doubt about it. That was uh, an easy one for me to throw in at number two. Yeah, an absolute classic. All right, number one for me. Uh, We just celebrated the 100th time these two teams did battle this year. And this is my favourite moment from this amazing rivalry uh, involving our national rugby team. As uh, Nonu gets it. Now Mar Nonu. He's got Dag. Israel Dag. Oh, what a try. Mar Nonu sets it up. Israel Dag scores the winner. I was a bit late to the party with this rivalry though, Smithy. All Black Springboks, I only got it after the apartheid and they came back in 95, 94, 95. So you've probably enjoyed that rivalry more than I have. But uh, even to the modern day, it is the greatest rivalry for me in sport when the All Blacks play the Springboks. Yep, well, part of me growing up was listening in the middle of the night on transistor radios, listening to their rugby referees cheat us out of it week after week, tour after tour. So uh, that was uh, one of the great rivalries. So we balanced the ledger there, the only... Stipulation I got there, John. You could have picked a more famous try than that one. Good sake. Israel Dag ran about. I, I would counter them. I think about 19 steps to score that try in the corner. Good God, you could have picked anyone out of the front row on the stand to score that one. Uh, let's move on. Um, uh, finally, finally, number one for me, um, because I've got such a passion for it these days, and it, it uh, happens uh, once every two years, but I, I just love the romance of it and the competition and the way it turns... It turns normally passive sportsmen into raving maniacs uh, once every two years. The fate of the whole Ryder Cup match rests on the final hole of the final singles match. It was so hard to believe after three days of competition, it came down to the very last group on the very last green with a man named Bernard Langer. If he makes it, Europe wins. If he misses it, the United States wins.
the Ryder Cup. Uh, I made a good putt, but it didn't go in. And it comes down to, to that. He missed an eight-foot putt downhill with two or three inches of left or right break. I mean, it's the putt that everyone hates, or if they say. So, you know, if he'd have hold it, he'd have been the hero. And that was it. That was the whole week. And that's what these Ryder Cups are. And that's why it's so such a fabulous competition. That is the Ryder Cup. They say no more. And that was Mount Rushmore this week. It's 11.53 uh, when we return. Just a very quick catch up with Staffy.